0: All right, this is uh, May 11th, right? Yep. May 11th, Wednesday night, and we're continuing in Galatians. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. And Father, we thank you for your word. And as we get into your word tonight, I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to understand it, to apply it to our hearts and that we will be different because of it, and be more able to do what you have called us to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, What does this mean? How does uh, how does how is this to be interpreted? And of course, I'm gonna here in a minute. I have not read out of the Believers Bible Commentary in prepping for this. I've I've read out of another one that I've had forever. I was reading a little bit and I have studied this years gone by and. I've taught it before, and as time goes on, you know, you just, you start to see things. You you might see something that you didn't see before. That's something that I hear from people who, who get into the Word, and then a year later or two years later, they go back through the same thing, and they always want to come back with, you know what, I saw something different. I saw something new. And that's the way the Word of God is. So, this book of Galatians has been talking about taskmasters, schoolmaster, your, the law, all the things that would keep you in bondage. And now it's talking about a child who is put before the tutors to take care of them, and... Until the father appoints the time when they're mature enough to go on their own. So this is a parallel thing going on. It's a picture, a worldly picture of a child. You know what? Children need to be guided. If we are very immature as a Christian, or a person who is being brought up in a Christian home, maybe a child has not actually come to the age where they can make that decision for themselves. We we sometimes call that the age of accountability. So when you're a child, you need to be told what to do, right? Just think of a two-year-old. If you was to let it... Let them make their own decisions on when to go to bed. How's that going to work? They'll end up just falling out somewhere. Yeah, they're, they're going to fall asleep, but it might be midnight. I can remember uh, uh, Joseph, when he was little, he set up his train track and had the train track all around him. And he was sitting there playing with everything and, and walked back in the room and he was laid. He was still sitting But he was just laid out flat, head on the floor, trains in his hand, little trains in his hand. He was sound asleep, laying in the middle of those tracks. But children, they don't think of things like, oh, I need to go to bed at 8.30 tonight because I've had a rough day. You have to tell them when to go to bed. Whether they like it or not, you have to pick the menu for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You have to pick out what they're going to wear. If you leave it up to them, it's hard to tell what you're going to get. I think it was uh, uh, might have been Mario Lopez talking about. It. This is when all the the whole thing about children being able to tell adults whether they were a boy or a girl. You know, when that first started, right now we hear about it all the time now. But several years ago, when all that first started happening, I think it was Mario Lopez, which you may not know who that is, but he was, uh, uh, he's a famous actor. He, he played a character in Saved by the Bell, and he was the, the muscular jock guy, you know. And he was just talking about, I, I don't know if it was him or somebody he was interviewing, but they said, if I let my three-year-old make the decisions on what's for lunch, it's going to be gummy bears. If I let them dress themselves, they're going to come downstairs with the little brother's diaper on their head. You know, three-year-olds are not capable of making those kinds of decisions. You have to make those decisions for them. Of course, they got ridiculed by saying those things. That were very true. And we're, in our time right now, this is, This is 2022. We are in a time in this country of the United States of America that we are, just what the Bible predicted, that in the last days, as we go on, we're going to be upside down. People are going to say what's right side up is upside down. What's upside down is right side up. And it's all going to be backwards. And then what's so sad is people are okay with it and going along with it but yet you can take that person who's going along with it take them aside and get them in private and say what do you really think and they'll probably tell you what they really think but they're too scared to say it out in public they want to be liked and be thought of as people who are compassionate and they don't believe in what's going on and they won't stand up for what's right there's very few people who actually say stop Y'all are crazy. This is the way it's supposed to be. It, it, it's something else. I mean, it just, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. But when you know what the Bible says about all this, you know, you can't be too surprised. Think about what was going on right before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. People were living in luxury. People were idle. That means they had all they needed. They were just living in idleness. And idleness, we are warned in the Bible, is a bad thing. You hear people say idleness is the devil's playground. we got to keep kids busy. You don't want them wandering off and being by themselves with nothing to do. They're sitting targets. So idleness was going on there, and there was some really weird sexual perversion going on. And not only was it going on, it was wide open. It wasn't something that they were sneaking around doing, ashamed for it to be seen, but they were just doing these things in the open streets and didn't care what anybody thought. We've gotten uh, to that point now in America. We are unashamed of those terrible perversions. So, think about what happened right before the flood and Noah building that ark. They were, the Bible says, just like in Noah's day, they were eating and drinking, they were given in marriage and all this stuff. It was just normal things were going on, and then boom, judgment hit. Sodom and Gomorrah, everything was going on as normal, and Boom, judgment hit. So, the end of times, we are going to be exactly like that. If the rapture happens sometime soon, no one's going to be ready for it because very few people will be ready. Just like very few people were ready for the flood, and very few people were ready to get out of Sodom. That's why I think that Christians will be taken out right before the tribulation happens. And there's plenty of people out there that don't believe that. They think the church is going to go through. I I was in the church a long time ago. The pastor felt like the church would go through the tribulation like everybody else. And I think he was wrong. Now, I can go to certain scriptures in Revelation and and explain to you why he thought that. There's all kinds of different views when it gets into uh, end times prophecy. And... All of them got a little bit, little bit of it right, but they're not seeing the whole picture. So, as you mature as a Christian, uh, I don't know if you, and this, I don't know why I'm getting into all of these pop culture things. Yeah, you know, but did you see? Uh, you've all heard probably about the Will Smith incident. Will Smith smacking Chris Rock. Chris Rock's supposed to be a funny guy. I don't know if he is or not. I don't care what he has to say. I really don't. So he gets smacked by Will Smith. And did you hear what Steve Harvey said about it? Steve Harvey said that was a punk move. And he said, Steve Harvey said, he said, I'm a Christian. He said, but I'm not real mature in my Christianity. He said, on a maturity level, uh, if you take a for, on a one to ten scale, I'm only a two. Y'all know who TD Jakes is. So uh, Steve Harvey said, "Now you smack TD Jakes, he may turn the other cheek, but if Will Smith smacks me, I'm only two on the scale. He better watch out." <laughs> So, as we are maturing from this kid who's under governors and tutors, there's a time appointed by the Father, and in the Jewish culture, was that 25? I, I mean, think about some of the people in the Bible. I mean, Isaac, did he, when did he get married? Was that like 40? I think he was 40 years old when they finally went and found his wife and brought her back, which 40 is a significant number. <clears throat> okay, so as a child, you are under the law. If we are a, a new Christian or we are, like I said earlier, we are in a Christian home, we're, we're, we're taken to church, we may not have gotten to that age of accountability yet, All of the laws, the moral laws in the Bible, they are there to show us what's right and wrong. We learn those things. We learn the Ten Commandments. But as we've been going through Galatians, I hope you have seen it up to this point that you cannot be truly saved by keeping the law. I think you understand that well. The Bible is the main book that the Founding Fathers used in the establishment of the state governments, like when the uh, colonies were here, 13 colonies, they all had charters, their own state constitutions. Remember the Mayflower Compact? When that was written, when they were on the ship, they knew... Before they, they established this new colony, it was like the second colony established in America, Jamestown being the first one, and that actually stayed. That actually, you know, you got the lost colony that don't count. But Jamestown, then, then up there in Massachusetts, you had the Mayflower Compact. They set the rules for how they were going to do things. It's really important to have that. So we treasure the laws, the Ten Commandments, because it's God's ways. But it's not a way to actually get salvation. So you have a country, not everybody's going to be saved. So the Bible instructs a free nation in how to live. So, if you do not get to maturity as a Christian, you're always going to be bound by this law. And if you go out and break it, then they throw you in jail. By the way, I went to Western Virginia Regional Jail today for orientation, reorientation. 13 years ago, I went for the first one back in 2009 when they first opened up the jail and started a Bible study there. And did it for 11 years until COVID shut it down well since we've been out for a couple years because of COVID they brought volunteers back in and they're gonna we had to go through all of the rules and everything and they reminded of why they have the rules and if you're just a normal law-abiding citizen you don't think about a lot of things that people who are locked up think about and so we have to be reminded of those things why this is why you don't do this and you don't do that because The inmates will do this, this, and this, and you're like, what? Oh, wow, would have never thought of that. Well, it's because you're not a criminal. You don't have these uh, terrible thoughts, but they, a lot of them, they, they have these bad ideas, and we don't want to do anything to help those ideas along. So, you will be thrown in jail if you do not obey the laws of the land. The laws of the land are based on A biblical understanding of what's right and wrong in this country that's just the way it is (coughs) if you try to tell certain people that they'd get offended by it they don't like it if you try to tell people that this country was founded on biblical worldview it irritates them and I didn't realize how bad it had gotten as far as how it irritates people to say that today and I, I run into more and more who, have, who want to be neutral in Bible things. They just want to be neutral. They think if they're neutral, then they'll, everybody will get along. It doesn't work. Being neutral never works. You might have some peace for a while, but eventually really bad things are going to happen. You must have an absolute peace truth based on something way bigger and better than man because man cannot be trusted just cannot be trusted the most trustworthy person you know can't be trusted everybody's got to be held accountable and to be held accountable by what absolute truth which is in our bibles though anybody who has any issues you if you're arguing over something you say well the bible says the bible says that's what we got we as christians we need to know what the bible says now if we get to the point where we get to that time appointed of the father then that's that's what four is talking about But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, that is critical, that we understand that the whole purpose of all of it was to send Jesus to earth. In the fullness of time, God sent Jesus here, made of a woman, so that He could be human but he had no human blood passed through it was divine blood that was inside of him so he was fully man because he's born of a woman but he was fully god because the holy spirit was his real father god was the father the holy spirit came upon mary and she conceived and brought forth a son and they called his name jesus the only way that Jesus could be a sacrifice for all of mankind is to be deity. To be, and to be deity in a human body that never sinned and was perfect. An unblemished lamb that was going to be sacrificed, bloodshed, for all the sinners. That's the gospel. And when we look to him on that cross and we believe on Him and what He did in our place, then we are adopted into the family of God. And then we become brothers and sisters of Jesus. Joint heirs with Jesus. Uh, Verse 6, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Remember, Jesus, the shepherd came to find the lost sheep. He went out, He found you, He carried you. And then the woman, like a woman looking for a lost coin, this is from Sunday's message, the Holy Spirit is sent. Jesus left, He found you, He did what he was supposed to do, came here for a purpose. He went out, found the lost sheep. Then, then he said, "I got to go to the Father, but I'm sending the comforter, I'm sending the Spirit. Now the Spirit comes, and indwells your spirit. You know, we all have a body. You know, an animal has a body. We all have a soul, and I think even all animals have souls. But we have a spirit that's different. A soul gives you the ability to think, feel, and decide. You know, a a deer will think. It feels cold and will want to get warm. A deer feels threatened and will go hide. A deer thinks and decides every November. They're like, something's up. And then the rut hits and all that deciding and thinking goes right out the window. And they'll do real stupid stuff for just a period of time. And then they go back to hide and you never see them again. So even animals, they think and they make a decision to run across interstate 81 and sometimes it doesn't work out so well it was a bad decision but they decided to do it they're hungry they feel hungry they want to eat they're thirsty they want to go drink and they know exactly where to go to drink so they have a soul and and, and people get soul and spirit mixed up and because we we've heard it so many times you know uh god needs to save that person's soul and the spirit that we have, it's not anything special. It's not the Holy Spirit. We, every person has a spirit, and that's what makes you a human being. Body, soul, and spirit makes up who you are. That spirit that we have is where we can, we can do way more than an animal can do. Not just feel pain or feel scared and avoid danger. Animals can do that but we figure out security systems we figure out self-defense in a way that uh animals can't do they they, they're going to defend their young right animals uh you don't want to mess with them when their little ones are around but they can't put up fences and build a house and things like that we as humans we can do that and because of the spirit that we have we're able to receive the Holy Spirit to indwell our spirit. And all that's for the purpose of, like the lost son, the prodigal son, being able to go and be united with the Father forever. So the shepherd finds the lost sheep, then the Spirit goes into the house and starts cleaning things up, For the purpose of us living a good Christian life, maturing as a Christian, and then one day we die and we go to be with the Father forever. That's all in Luke 15. I didn't read anything out of Luke 15 because I didn't have time, but uh, we might go back and read that this Sunday, I don't know. Uh, It would be worth reading all of that. But I just thought it was really significant to put in that because... I wanted to make sure people understand. If you didn't, if you wasn't here for Sunday and you're listening to this, you go back and listen to Sunday's message because it was Mother's Day and we were talking about Mother Teresa. Well, if you only get the first part of the message, the Olivet Discourse of feeding the hungry and, and uh, going to visit the people in prison and, and, and all those types of things, if that's all you get out of it, then that would be a works salvation. You would be trying to be accepted by God through works. If you you get chapter 15 of Luke of what the shepherd did for you, Jesus, what he did for you, what the Holy Spirit does for you, when you believe, the Holy Spirit comes in, then you are a true child of God. You've been adopted into the family. You're now a son of God, son or daughter of God. You're crying, Abba, Father. And you want to do those things in the Olivet Discourse. See the difference of, all right, this is what I'm supposed to do. Here's my list. Have I done it all? And you're so concerned, I don't know if I've done enough of that. It says, when you get to the bottom of this, if you don't do these things, you'll be thrown into outer darkness and the fire. You're going to hell for sure. And if you do them all, then you you get brought into the kingdom. And you can worry yourself to death trying to work your way to where you're satisfactory and checking everything off, and now God might accept me. And you've missed the whole thing get saved (laughs) believe and then your heart will be changed and then you'll you'll do these other things not out of trying to please God but you've got God in you you've got the love of God in you and you want to do those things see the difference Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, back in, uh, back in verse 3, it talks about uh, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. That's where we get the word uh, elementary. The elements, I can't remember the Greek word. starts with an S but it's the elementary things and that's what we learn there's a famous book long time ago everything you need to know you learn in kindergarten it is critical that little kids learn the things of god when they're when critical all right let's uh like i said i have not read anything out of the uh believers bible commentary yet and not even in preparation for this. So all of that was just, you know, trying to interpret those first six or seven verses. And now, just out of curiosity, I want to read a little bit out of this. See if I'm right or wrong. <laughs> or see where he where he, where he sees this. All right. The picture is of a wealthy father who intends to turn over control of his wealth to the son when he reaches maturity. However, as long as he is a child, the heir's status is like that of a slave. He is continually told to do this and not to do that. He has stewards who manage his property and guardians in charge of his person. Thus, although the inheritance is surely his, he does not enter into it until he has grown up. That's verses two, one and two. So far, so good. Verse three. This was the condition of the Jews under law. They were children, being ordered around by the law, just like slaves. They were in bondage under the elements of the world, meaning the elementary principles. I promise, I have not. I did not read this beforehand. I have not. The elementary principles and rituals of Judaism were designed for those who did not know God the Father as He is revealed in Christ. An illustration might be found in a child learning the rudiments of spelling by using blocks or learning to identify objects by means of pictures. The law was full of shadows and pictures." appealing to the spiritual senses by means of the physical and external. Circumcision is an example of this. Judaism was physical, external, and temporal. Christianity is spiritual, internal, and permanent. These externals were a form of bondage to the children. The fullness of the time refers to the time appointed by the Heavenly Father when the heirs would become of age. In this verse, we have, in a few words, a marvelous statement to, as to the deity and humanity of the Savior. I think I explained that already. He is the, uh, the eternal Son of God, yet He was born of a woman. If Jesus had been only a man, it would be... Uh, I can't say that word... Uh, he, anyway, if, if he was only a man, it would have been obvious to say that he was born of a woman. How, but how else could a mere man be born? The expression in our Lord's case witnesses to his unique person and the unique mode of his birth. Born into the world as an Israelite, you know, he was therefore born under the law, as Son of God, the Lord Jesus would never have been, would have never been under the law. He was the one who gave it. But in condescending grace, he put himself under the law that he had made in order that he might magnify it in his life and bear its curse in his death. Verse 5. The law demanded a price from those who failed to keep it, the price of death. Before God could bring men into the wonderful position of sonship, this price had to be paid. So the Lord Jesus coming into the world as a member of the human race and of the Jewish nation and paid the price that the law demanded. Because He is God, His death was infinite in value that is it was sufficient to pay for any number of sinners because he was man he could die as a substitute for man govet says oh it's the just just seeing that name right there reminded me you know how we'll say joshua the son of nun it's the son of noon I heard that today from a Jewish guy. It just came to my head. I got a pretty cool story with that, why, why that came to my head. Uh, I'll tell you here in a minute. Uh, Govet says Christ by nature, let's see, Christ by nature, Son of God, became Son of man, that we by nature, sons of man, might become sons of God. Did you get that? Okay, let me try it again. Christ, by nature Son of God, became Son of Man, that we, by nature sons of man, might become sons of God. Wonderful exchange. As long as men were slaves, they could not be sons. Christ delivered them from the bondage of the law in order that they might be adopted as sons. Notice here the distinction between becoming a child of God and a son of God. The distinction between becoming a child of God and a son of God. You can compare that with Romans 8:14 and 6. I mean 8:14 and 16. Uh, if you want to write that down, the believer is born into the family of God as a child see john 1 12 the emphasis here is on the fact of divine birth not on the privileges and responsibilities of sonship the believer is adopted into the family as a son every christian is a son immediately and is brought into the inheritance of which he is heir now remember at the beginning of all this while you were under governors and tutors you were nothing better than a slave, yet you were heir of all. You, were, you, you had everything. Remember? It said that, uh, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant. This is uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Though he be Lord of all. Does that make sense? Until this time... Until you are adopted, you are nothing better than a servant. All right, so every Christian is a son immediately and is brought into the inheritance of which he is an heir. Thus the instructions to Christians in the New Testament assume no infancy among the saints. All are treated as mature sons. Adoption in Roman culture differed from that in modern life. We think of adoption as taking someone else's child to be one's own. But in the New Testament, adoption means putting believers into the position of mature sons with all the privileges and responsibilities of that position. In 4.6, uh, talking about, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In order that those who are sons of God might realize the dignity of His position, God sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to indwell them. The Spirit creates an awareness of sonship, causing the saint to address God as Father, Abba, Father. So, Abba Father is a familiar form of address combining the Aramaic and Greek words for father. No slave could address the head of a family in this fashion. It was reserved for members of the family and expresses love and confidence. Note the trinity in this verse. Did you see it? Did you all see the trinity? And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you see the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father all in that verse. Okay, now we'll, uh, we can kind of hold off on 7. We'll, next week we can get into 7. And 8 9, we'll, we'll just pick up there. But I want to share something with you that I just found out today where I heard this Hebrew man talk about Joshua, the son of Nun. It's not the son of Nun, it's the son of Nun. And he said the name of God was Yahoo. Yahoo is how he said it. You know, right? The reason he's saying that is he... It was, 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 was brought on to uh, Wall Builders. Wall Builders is a radio program that comes on uh, every morning during the week. And the Wall Builders, Dave Barton and his son, they go to Israel quite often. And they know a man over there named Omer Eshel. And Omer Eshel is an archaeologist, and he does tours. So if you go to Israel, make sure you get him to be your tour guide. Omar Eshel, and if you want to go to Israel, start saving now, and they're going to go in the spring of next year. The the whole wall builder's family, they're going to go over, and anybody else that wants to go with them, you'll just have to get on a plane and meet them at some airport somewhere, and then you get on a really big plane, and then you all fly over there. I still only have $5 in my Israel account. I started it, what, a year and a half ago? So I need to start putting money in there. I would like to go. They feel like the restrictions and the vaccine mandates and all that stuff will be gone by then because they're mostly gone now. Uh, we don't want to get into that. Israel is a really good example of mandating and how did it work for them and all that. They, they realize they made big mistakes. Well, uh, there was an inscription found so they're always over there digging. They don't have the funds to do what they want to do all the time. But every now and then, a major finding will happen. And we'll, we, you're not going to hear about it on the news. If you're, if you're watching normal news, you'll never hear about it. But they found just recently something that Omer Eshel said is on the level of Dead Sea Scrolls, which is huge. Anybody who goes to church or, you know, that knows, that, that study their Bibles, you've, you've probably heard of Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, this finding is dated to uh, 1300 B.C. The, the oldest that has been found to date up until then was in the 10s. The, uh, the so now we're in the 13th. They found that... And and the critics who criticize the books of the Bible in the Old Testament would say, well, the the nation of Israel, they couldn't read and write then. Well, they had been in Egypt for 400 years. That was a very uh, brilliant society. They knew how to write, read. They knew how to do all kinds of stuff there. So... To think that the children of Israel didn't know how to read and write is kind of silly, <clears throat> but this proves that they did know how because if you go back that far, B.C., that puts you right in the time of Joshua. And Joshua was alive when Moses was alive, so he said this was huge to find this thing. Every time something like that is found it shows that the Bible was good it already it it, all right you read it well I don't know I'm not sure about that and then something's found and it's like okay all right that's true there's two schools in Israel the school of thought or the, the university that's in Tel Aviv and then you have Hebrew University the Hebrew University is very conservative and they believe everything the Bible says The one in Tel Aviv, they're like, only the things that have been proven up to this date are true. The rest of it we're waiting to see. See the difference there? We are, even though we don't have the proofs, we as Christians, with a childlike faith, we believe everything that's there because we believe that all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's there, and we believe it, whether we understand it, or can m- make it work in our human minds, we believe it anyway. If uh, the Bible says that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, we believe that he was swallowed by a whale. And he was there for three days. We believe that. Now, a person can get swallowed by a whale today, they probably wouldn't last a day. They'd, be, they'd probably be dead pretty fast. Um, I did a message on Jonah and the whale a long time ago, and I t- told everybody about There was at the turn of the century, I think it was in the night, going into the 1900s, a man from Ireland maybe was swallowed by a whale off the Falkland Islands at the bottom of uh, South America. They got into killing a whale, trying to harvest it, and the whale hit the boat. The guy fell out. They thought he drowned and was in the water, but he got swallowed up by that whale. They were in. It was in January, so in the southern hemisphere, it's summer down there where it's winter up here. So it was really hot when they harvested this whale, and they were in a mad dash to get back and get it hung up and start processing it before it started to rot. So when they cut the whale open, that guy fell out onto the dock, and he was still alive. They couldn't believe it but he was bleached white, all of the hair on his body had dissolved off of him, and he was a sight to see. So can you imagine what Jonah looked like when he walked into Nineveh? Everybody looked at him like, what is that? And he has a message for us, and he smells horrible. I think he's been in the belly of a fish for three days, and we better listen to what he has to say, and they did. So we believe all of that is true. But there's all kinds of people out there saying, well, you know, it's just a fairytale story. But we, I believe everything, and it's true. So every time something like this is found, I love it. It's awesome. So just wanted to share that with you, because you will not see things like that on the news. Because the people who don't want you reading your Bible, they don't want to hear anything about that. So we're done for tonight. We'll uh, <clears throat> be here Sunday. Listen for Sunday's message, and then next week on Wednesday, we'll we'll continue with Galatians four. Notice that we're getting more in-depth as we get into it. You know, we went all the way through chapter one the first time, all the way through chapter two, and then we got to three, and it took only only got through half of it, and then last week we finished up the second half of it. This week we only got to verse six or seven. And this chapter right here, read it, reread it, do your own studying on it, and it really paints a good picture. And you'll want to go back into Genesis and you'll want to read about Abraham and Sarah trying to wait on God. You'll you'll read about Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael coming into the world. You'll you, you, you will see those things, and then it'll, this, as we read further, that will help you understand why the bondwoman had to be sent away. Why Ishmael? No, can't go through Ishmael. Cannot. It must be through the son of promise. See? So all that stuff plays into what we'll be getting into as we... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. And Father, I pray that you will just help us to retain it in our minds and help us to want to get into your word on our own, to know it more, so that we can confidently say the Bible says. Amen. Thank you, Lord.